This is Kim Roberts with The Texan. I had the opportunity to interview Congressman Kevin Brady of the 8th Congressional District, who is retiring after 26 years of service in the House of Representatives. We talked about his most gratifying accomplishments, ideas for the future, and his advice to his successor, Morgan Luttrell. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Texan at thetexan.news. Well, good morning, Congressman Kevin Brady. Thank you so much for joining us on the Texan podcast. Well, thanks for for letting me join you. Appreciate it. Yes, we're so grateful that you gave us some of your time. I want to start by congratulating you on your 26 years of service in the U.S. House of Representatives. And uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to your retirement. Yeah, I I am. Look, I I love my job. It's really been a blessing. But 26 years is a good good run. And uh, you sort of know when it's time uh, to step back. And so, uh, yeah, I am I am leaving. Obviously, I'm going to miss, you know, the issues, the policies, the people I work with. But yeah, we're ready for ready for a new adventure. And we'll be we uh, never moved to Washington, my family, I so we, we live in the woodlands just north of Houston. And that's where we'll be. Uh, our home again. Well, excellent. I would just like to start by letting you give our listeners a little background about how you got involved and ran for to represent District 8 back in 1996. Yeah, well, it wasn't intended. You know, I never, I was serving the state house at the time and uh, in my third term and really had expected to serve one more term and the opportunity uh, comes from Jack Fields from Humble, really a great congressman, decided to retire. And so, you know, Kathy and I talked about it and with friends and neighbors and decided to, to do, to, to, to seek the office. But I really think it really starts with family. We're all influenced by how we grew up. And, you know, mom uh, and dad were involved in the community and in politics. And after dad died, mom raised five of us by herself. And one of the things she taught us was to give back to the community where you're involved. So after college, I... Uh, began an 18-year uh, Chamber of Commerce career where you're helping build a community, you know, build schools and roads and attract businesses. And, you know, I, I love that area. And it really led me both to a city council seat, the state legislature, and then really to Congress. So short answer is that, uh, you know, my family just instilled uh, uh, in us um, that we need to be involved somewhere. And so this was Congress, it turned out, uh, ended up being a good place to contribute. All right. Very good. Well, speaking of contributing and being part of Congress, what would you say, upon reflection, has been the most gratifying part of serving the people of Texas' 8th Congressional District for 26 years? Yeah, the opportunity to serve is very rare. I think um, in all of history, only about 275 Texans have had the opportunity to serve in Congress, certainly in the House of Representatives. So you've got a rare opportunity. The question always is, do you squander that or you, do you work hard to, to leave a mark? You know what I mean? For your community and your state and your country. And my voters, you know, elected me and then kept me there, trusted me enough to work my way up into ways and means and to become the third Texan uh, to lead that committee. And from there, I was able to do some, some good things for Texas and the country. So I'm really, I'm just really grateful that our that my constituents and they changed over time. I've represented about 28 different counties in my career because of redistricting. So, yeah, I've really it's really been an honor. Well, speaking of serving in some of those committees and getting to accomplish some things, you've been in Congress 
for a, seeing a lot of different things over the 26 years, and you've had the opportunity to work on quite a few different legislative proposals. I wonder if you might share one or two accomplishments that you feel maybe the most proud of or the most gratified by. Yeah, so the good news is there, I, I, I've been blessed that way and uh, have worked um, mainly in a bipartisan way on a lot of these issues. But I think the thing, the issues I'm most proud of were important for the country, but really important for Texas. So obviously, my first job was to negotiate an end to the 40-year ban on selling crude oil around the world. And I, that was my first job in 2015 as chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, three weeks into it chairmanship. And uh, that that really has changed the world in a sense, uh, has helped lower oil prices, make America really a diplomatic power for our allies that we need now more than ever. Tax reform was critical because, you know, we were losing too many Texas jobs overseas. Companies were picking up and, and leaving. That was happening all over the country. Paychecks have been flat around the country for a decade. Growth was really slow and People told us in Washington that was that was the new normal, but but I believed we believed we could do better. So tax reform was really crucial to the economy, but trade as well. So I've been involved in 13 of the 15 free trade agreements we had, including the more, most recent one for Mexico and Canada. Texas is made for trade. You know, uh, no other state sells or ships more around the world than we do. Uh, we're number one and have been for 20 years. So lots of jobs, lots of opportunities for families, farmers, small businesses and trade. So, yeah, I'm I am proud of the economic issues that I worked on. Uh, and I'm also proud of the bipartisan work, the first reform of the IRS in two decades, the first retirement reforms in a decade and a half, all bipartisan in a ban on um, surprise medical billings nationwide sort of using a lot of the Texas model to do that. And I, so, yeah, that the, those are things, there's more, but those are, are issues mostly bipartisan that I'm proud of. Well, you've mentioned that you worked in a bipartisan way on several issues and partisan politics has always been part of Congress and the way it's functioned. Um, I wonder if upon reflection over the time you've served there, do you think some people think it's more partisan now than it was back then in 1996. Do you agree with that? And if so, can you tell me ways you think that manifests? Yeah, it is. I'd say it's a different type of partisan. Okay. You know, from the standpoint, social media, I think, has been has contributed to making the whole country a little more divided or certainly sharper elbows, you know what I mean, uh, in comments. And I think that's contributed to making it harder for both parties to work together. But I will just tell you this, 90% of what we do is both parties working together and finding common ground. Certainly on Ways and Means Committee, that's the case with Chairman Richie Neal and myself, but our whole committee, because we just believe, you know, every day you ought to wake up, I believe, you know, fighting bad ideas. There's lots in Washington, you know, advancing your good ideas, hopefully, but work equally hard to find common ground. And I think if you do, I'm very conservative economically and socially, but I also believe you need to solve problems. You need to make the country better. And in, in Washington, the truth is, you know, that almost always requires finding common ground. And, and what I've learned is that you don't compromise on your principles at all, but if you're open to finding new ways to hit the same goal, you know, with your Democrat colleagues, you can get a lot done. 
Well, at the Texan, um, we write a fair amount about the Texas high-speed rail proposed yes. project between Dallas and Houston. And you've been a fairly vocal opponent of that proposed project, especially when it comes to federal funding of it. So I would like you to explain to our listeners um, why you think that project should not be supported with federal dollars. Yeah, so I, I don't object to the concept of high-speed rail. We, we always ought to be looking at new ways on infrastructure, Texas especially. But here was a project that, you know, promised it would be built on time. No, no tax dollars, state, uh, or, uh, local, or federal, you know, and you know, promised to use existing routes so you wouldn't be taking people's lands. But they, they reneged, in my view, on all of those, chose a route that's been very damaging to our rural communities. Right now, They've reversed course on funding. Now they're really working hard to try to get federal taxpayers to bail them out. But I, I would say, Kim, right now, this is a zombie train. You know, it has no board, no staff, no financing, um, uh, not a single permit to operate, and hasn't even applied for them permits. And here we have a project a decade behind schedule and the costs have tripled. And so there's just no path forward for them. And I think they're leaving a lot of landowners and a lot of rural communities hanging out there with uncertainty. So, you know, I think the sooner they just close this down, uh, um, the better for the state. I wonder if you have any insight about the Texas high-speed rail future, its plans. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, we get press releases that they're alive and well, but there's there's just nothing behind those at all. And I don't know if this is part of a strategy for how they sort of break themselves up and, and how they handle closing it all down from a legal and a property management standpoint. But I think it's, it's all but over. Uh, and I think their decisions along the way, you know, brought this about. Well, you mentioned previously your work on trade agreements and um, especially the work on the USMCA trade agreement between U.S., Mexico and Canada. Um, so that gives you some special insights into our relationship with Mexico. I wonder what you think the U.S. federal government should work on there to help the Ill illegal immigration problem and situation yeah. at the border. No, and I think, Kim, you, you know, in Texas, I, we're proud of our relationship with Mexico, uh, culturally, economically, and in many ways. So this is a special relationship. I think trade makes that even better. We really, you know, when you when you put together the strengths of, of a Mexico, a U.S., and Canada, frankly, bring those all to the table. We are stronger, more competitive. You know, we can, we can handle tough economic issues better together. So that's really important. That's why I work on trade so much. But I think immigration has been a big challenge. And I think the the Biden administration's approach on the border, I think, has just been horrendous. Um, it's a humanitarian crisis, a security crisis, a fentanyl crisis, a human trafficking crisis. And we, we know this, especially in Texas, in, in the Houston region. So I think really on immigration, our approach needs to be let's let's shut the back door of illegal immigration so we can keep open and improve the front door of legal immigration. We know in some ways that front door is broken, too, um, you know, and how the backlogs, how long it takes. You know, it's um, and I think we're one of the few countries where 
You get in by who you know, not by what skills or contributions you can make to the country. I think that needs to change. But it all starts with shutting that back door of illegal immigration. And and obviously, that's not happening today. The final point, people forget in the summer of 2018, the House of Representatives offered two bills that I thought was the right balance. In fact, it attracted a majority of House Republicans. And what it did was close that back door of illegal immigration, made some really modern improvements to the front door uh, on how people become citizens and, and, and work. But it also created a legal a path to legal status for our dreamers. And our thinking was that would be a good balanced model to use for immigration. I still think it is, but with the current environment and, and the tension at the border, you know, that it's tough to get people to the table on on a balanced approach like that. But at the end of the day, it's needed. We're we're thankfully we're a, a state that's growing. Uh, we we have a, a workforce that's strong, but we have a million job openings as of this morning, you know. Mm-hmm. So for us to grow and prosper and offer opportunities, you know, we've got to find some good solutions for a, a workforce that's trained and ready and, 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 and big enough to sort of handle our economic growth. I guess returning to my question about partisan politics. Do you think the border is one of the more partisan issues? Is that why it's hard to bring people to the table? You know, it, it is, but shouldn't be. I think we all know what the solution needs to be. Um, it's been frustrating for me that in 26 years, we really, you know, haven't yet come together as both parties to do this. Um, people often say uh, folks don't want a solution. I don't think that's true. Uh, I just think the dynamics have have just never come together. But I, I, I'm not. I'm I'm pretty optimistic. At some point, it will because it the country needs it. Both parties want to find a solution, and from a security standpoint, economic standpoint, this this is important. You mentioned human trafficking in your answer about illegal immigration, and um, it's it's kind of been called modern day slavery by many. Um, and it was really a tragedy. And I was wondering what you think the U.S. Congress can do to fight it more aggressively. Yeah. So as we're talking right now, it's estimated 300,000 young people under the age of 24 are in sex slavery in Texas right now as we're visiting. And that's just, yeah, I know it's un- it's unconscionable that in the Houston region is a big part of that. And I think our... Our uh, proximity to the border is part of that. It's a shipping route, unfortunately, uh, on human trafficking. So border security really does matter. I mean, it's got to be smart. It's got to be effective. Certainly, we got to be able to crack down here in Texas and the U.S. as well. But it is, um, it's a byproduct of a border that's not secure, that's just heartbreaking. Um, it's just heartbreaking in in. Um, we've got to do more. We've just got to do more. It's one of those problems that I think is multifaceted and needs a multifaceted solution. Yeah, no question. Well, you've mentioned your chairmanship of the House and Ways Committee, and that committee obviously has vast jurisdiction over a lot of matters like taxes, health care, trade, and welfare. So Republicans are set to take control of the House um, come January. 
And with your experience on that committee, what priorities would you suggest to the incoming chairman of House Ways and Means to focus on to help some of the economic issues our country's facing right now? Yeah, the good news is we've worked and developed an agenda for that. And so the Republican, we call it the Commitment to America. And it's really four pillars, a nation that's safe, an economy that's strong, a government that's accountable to the people in a future based on freedom. And the economy that's strong is really our bailiwick. And so you're going to see an, an effort to fight inflation by less government spending, less taxes and in, in regulation that fuel inflation, and um, more American-made energy, more workers reconnected to their jobs, and more innovation that can help us drive prices down. You'll see an effort to uh, confront China, their economic aggression and predatory practices, um, but you'll also see an effort to make America the most innovative nation on the planet because we think the country that wins that race, you know, wins the future. Um, and we're also obviously um, looking at free market programs that can help generate more paid family leave and more child care, not mandated out of Washington, but really created, we, we are creating incentives for businesses large and small to be able to offer those better benefits, you know, to their workers, because we think that's important too. Very good. Well, um, Morgan Luttrell was elected um, to fill the seat that you're vacating in the House of Representatives. And I'm sure you've probably met with him, but what advice would you offer to him that's unique to representing, representing Congressional District 8? I didn't know uh, Morgan well. I knew him, but didn't know him well uh, before he sought uh, uh, the nomination and uh, in, in won the race. But I, I've become so impressed with him. He is, look, this is, a, this is a principled conservative who served his country and wants to serve it more in Washington. Uh, since he's won the primary, we sat down often um, and... Uh, his approach of listening and learning and doing outreach in, in, to everyone, not, not, not just a single party, in preparing to do a great job in Congress, be that kind of representative. I've just been so impressed with him. So, yeah, we've been working on the transition for quite a while now. He's going to hit the ground running. And I'm really you, you always want him to be followed by someone you respect and admire. And, and in that case, that's exactly what, what we've gotten in Morgan. So you feel like you can assure the people of Congressional District 8 that they'll have a, a good representative taking your spot. Yeah, I absolutely do. And, and I'll tell you, too, he's his team's already focused on a seamless transition for casework. You know what I mean? Families you're fighting for and working on. He knows the district well. So, yeah, I think he's I think he's a step ahead just because how serious he's taken the preparation and the transition. Excellent. What are your plans now that you're retiring from Congress? Give us an insight into what you plan to do. Yes. So I don't know yet. Um, uh, people hired me to represent them and work till January 3rd. So I'm going to do that. And at the end of the year, I always have to negotiate the tax trade healthcare, you know, provisions that are temporary. So didn't want any distractions there. So in January, we've told everyone who wants to visit, you know, let's we'll talk in the new year, you know, okay. after the new session begins, but we'll be headquartered in Texas. You know, Kathy and I have lived in the Woodlands a long time, and this is where our sons are as well. So this is our home. And then 
I'm just going to be open to to a new adventure. I've got got a lot of energy to burn, you know. Uh, I love working, and so we'll Kathy and I'll figure out hopefully a a, a rewarding, satisfying new adventure. And I hope hopefully it'll be along the economic issues that I love: taxes, trade, healthcare, energy, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, no specific plans. Do you think it'll still involve some something with government? Yeah, so I'm probably not political life. Certainly, I've, I've had an opportunity to serve, so it's time for others uh, to do that. But yeah, you you know, you never know, Kim. Sort of where these things head. We're just going to be open, open to, to 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 the ideas. How is your wife feeling that you're coming back home permanently? To we're both we're both very happy. I've been commuting a long time. I think. We figured out for a local Boy Scout troop, I'm on my sixth round trip to the moon, commuting back and forth to watch. That's a long time away from your family and your boys. And so, yeah, we're both very, very happy about an opportunity to be together more. It's hard on spouses. You're gone. There's there's single moms and single dads for, you know, much of the week. And then you're busy in your district on the weekend. So she's sacrifice. She's an angel. She sacrificed so much to allow me to do this. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it'll be nice to be able to give back. Was there anything else you'd like to offer to our listeners as we close up this interview? The only thing I would say is um, I would encourage you to, to put, put down the phone and your tablet and turn off the TV from time to time. And I think, you know, we're, we're not the hateful racist divided nation. We're that, 10,000 times a day, we're told. In fact, I think we are a work in progress, no question, but we're the most charitable country on earth. We're, we're, we're people who race to help each other in disasters. Year-round, we're, we're ch- doing charitable work in church or civic groups or with our friends, and that's really, really who we are. I, I, I'm very optimistic about our future. We, there's so much more that pulls us together than, than divides us in our communities and I hope people don't get discouraged, don't get disheartened, you know, just just have some trust, be involved, you know, and, and I, I, I see good things ahead. Well, it's a good word to close us down. Thank you so much, Congressman Brady, for your time today. Congratulations on your service and congratulations on your retirement from Congress. Thank you, Kim. Please take care. I hope you have a great holidays. Thank you. You too. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoy our show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want more of our stories, subscribe to The Texan at thetexan.news. Follow us on social media for the latest in Texas politics and send any questions for our team to our mailbag by DMing us on Twitter or shooting an email to editor at thetexan.news. We are funded entirely by readers and listeners like you. So thank you again for your support. God bless you and God bless Texas.